7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabiso Musia. Good evening and uh, thanks for joining us on SAFM Spot on Tabiso Musia is me and uh, Muthkatla Khumudiba is producing the show tonight as well as Sylvester Komane who is our technical producer. We have been talking all things cricket on Thursdays leading up uh, and uh, during this ICC uh, Cricket World Cup and we will do more of the same tonight. I think there's only so much folks that we can say about the Proteas. So tonight I think we want to get an overall look at the tournament and we're going to go all the way to the UK to speak to the Daily Mirror's cricket correspondent uh, Dean Wilson and get his thoughts on who have been some of the stars of this World Cup, any surprise packages, any flops and who does he see going all the way to lift the trophy. And on that note, uh, one of the notable omissions in this World Cup is our neighbours Zimbabwe. But of course it is a reduced uh, World Cup as far as the number of teams are concerned. The ICC did say they want to have the best of the best playing against each other. But we were still going to go over to Zimbabwe just to speak to cricket correspondent uh, Dean Duplessis uh, just to get his thoughts on the state of cricket in Zimbabwe at the moment uh, how are they doing what are they doing can they get back to playing against the elite and by the way uh, Dean Duplessis is visually impaired he's a blind cricket commentator and he commentates cricket matches and I think it's a chance for us also to find out from Dean Duplessis how does he do it. I know it is fascinating. It fascinates a lot of people when they see his Twitter handle because he comments a lot about cricket and once they realize that he's blind and he's a cricket commentator, they just don't get it. So he's agreed to speak to us tonight and uh, tell us uh, about his incredible story and how does he do it. But before, and then also on the show tonight, we're going to go to Egypt because that is where Bafana Bafana are and will be in last 16 action against the host nation, Egypt, this Saturday in what seems like a mountain to climb on paper. But as we all know, football is not one on paper. So we all live in hope that Bafana Bafana can turn things around and do something special on a Saturday, especially as I said last night that they've got nothing to lose. And uh, it's been, it has not been impressive to be fair. The first three games in the group they really have been poor Bafana Bafana even in their 1-0 win against Namibia a lot of people have been concerned about the football that's being uh, played but uh, be that as it may they have qualified as one of the four best placed number threes so they are in the last 16 and they face Egypt and uh, we're going to speak to Njabulo Ngidi from the new frame who's been at AFCON for the whole uh, tournament some guys have come back I don't know if they thought that Bafana Bafana will not make it to the last 16 but a couple of journalists have come back from Egypt on Monday uh, but Bafana are staying on until Saturday at least uh, when they face Egypt. So Njabulungidi has stayed and he will talk to us about what is being said in the camp and how they'll be approaching this game on Saturday. Feel free to call us at any time on 0891-104-207. Our WhatsApp number is 061-4104-107 and our new SMS number is 41391. Up next, we'll speak to the Daily Mirror's cricket correspondent, Mr. Dean Wilson. Hashtag SAFM Sport On. So let's talk all things then ICC Cricket World Cup. We've said enough about South Africa. Uh, let's look at the other teams now because what more can we say about the Proteas? Dean, good evening from us on SAFM in South Africa. Thank you very much for finding the time to speak to us. We really appreciate it, sir. Yeah, no problem. Good evening. Dean, firstly, just to get your thoughts on the tournament as a as as as, as a whole. I mean, um, has it lived up to expectations? If there were any before, especially now that we're in the business end of the tournament. 
Yeah, I think the tournament has, has come to the boil quite nicely, actually. I was I had a few reservations about it uh, earlier on. There were quite a few uh, one-sided matches. Um, we weren't seeing quite the um, the big scores as well. Some of the pitches weren't exactly conducive for, for big hitting. And then, of course, we had a bit of wet weather around as well, which you can always get mm. in England uh, in June, April, May, June. You can get a few showers. So that disrupted a little bit of the tournament as well well but I've got to be honest ever since uh, England lost their game to Sri Lanka uh, which uh, was uh, I suppose the, the first major upset of the tournament since then it's just uh, gone to another level and there's been quite a few close games the weather has taken a turn for the better and uh, of course England are now in the semi-final so all is well with the world. <laughs> and talking about those semi-finals, I mean, the final round-robin matches will take place now. Do you expect any changes to that top four? And what slim chance does Pakistan have of qualifying? No, I think the top four now is the top four. Uh, the only chance Pakistan uh, had really was if uh, England had beaten New Zealand by such a huge margin that it would have affected their net run rate. But uh, that, that difference is just too great for, for Pakistan to get past when they play Bangladesh tomorrow. So uh, I think we've got, the, we've got our top four. Uh, and I think it's reasonably fair to say I think that that top four have been the best four teams in the tournament. Um, you know, Pakistan might argue that, you know, they've come to uh, come to the party at the, at the back end and have started playing some really positive cricket but they just left it a little bit uh, a little too late uh, and so yeah I think the top four England uh, New Zealand Australia and India uh, are going to contest these semi-finals and you know whichever team wins out of those four I think will be deserved winners there were a lot of expectations on England Dean leading up to this tournament one of the favorites have they lived up to their billing how have they handled the pressure in your opinion well, I think that they have just about lived up to, to the expectation. I mean, you know, certainly we thought that they would get to the semi-finals as a as a bare minimum. Uh, I think if they'd failed to get to the semi-finals, then that would have been a, a real letdown. Um, but uh, you know, I think they definitely had a, a little wobble. You know, they lost three games, uh, mm. two on the bounce to Sri Lanka and then Australia. They had an earlier defeat against Pakistan as well. So uh, they certainly uh, had their moments where you wondered if the pressure was getting to them being being one of the favourites and being the host nation. But the way in which they managed to turn things around firstly against India and then against New Zealand in their most recent game just says to me that they've kind of found what they're looking for. They've found that they've been able to play the kind of cricket that they want to, that they're their best kind of cricket. Um, and if they can do it, under those kind of pressure uh, situations, under in that environment, then I think that they're going to be in a pretty good position when they, uh, whenever they play their semi-final next Thursday. And they seem to be a completely transformed team, especially under Owen Morgan in the past eighteen months or even longer. In how they play, the belief that they have, what's led to this transformation of the England team? Well, I think it's just a case of uh, you know not not getting any worse than they were. They they kind of hit rock bottom. Uh, four years ago at the uh, 2015 World Cup, and it's been a bit of a theme throughout the last four years when, when Owen Morgan has talked about uh, the sort of the one-day revolution that he's uh, led. Uh, it's been about trying to to make up for you know some of the worst performances that an England team have made on on the global stage. They were beaten by eight wickets by New Zealand in Wellington, a game 
you know, the, the eight-wicket margin wasn't the big thing. It was the fact they had uh, more than 220 balls remaining uh, in that innings to chase those runs. It was it was a, a huge embarrassment. And from that point on, Owen just decided enough was enough. We're gonna we're gonna take a really uh, positive approach. We're gonna we're gonna gamble. We're gonna you know try things that that may or may not work. Uh, if they do work, if they come off, then we'll be a, a very competitive team that can challenge for for tournaments uh, and that's what they've done and you know all credit to them because um they've stuck to that they've stuck to that focus they've stuck to that game plan and now they're in a semi-final so really it's up to them to to see it home even before this world cup they even spoke i remember mark wood speaking that they can become the first team to post a total of 500 in odis is the is that the kind of belief that they have and is this something possible even if it's not at this cricket world cup yeah, look, I, I definitely don't think it'll be happening at this tournament. Uh, just too much pressure. Uh, the bowling, uh, just too good. And the pitches have, have offered a bit of assistance as well. So, um, yeah, I don't see that happening in these last few games. But, you know, I do think that, that 500 is a possibility, absolutely. I think that the way the batsmen are, are attacking the game, you know, if, if you get in on your day, you've seen batsmen score score double hundreds uh, you know guys like Chris Gale and Rohit Sharma uh, have managed to do that and I think there are more players coming into the game who are going to be capable of doing that uh, I think it's only a matter of time before one of the England players does it maybe Jason Roy maybe Johnny Besto at the top of the order but I think you're going to need uh, things to really go your way um, whether it's uh, you know a flat pitch fast outfield and maybe just maybe some altitude maybe somewhere like Joburg you know we saw the, uh, the 434 the four, game the 438 uh, game yeah. at uh, the Wanderers and, and maybe somewhere like that we'll get the first 500 well they do have scores of 481 England and 444 I think both are the two highest scores of all time so it is really possible there were concerns you mentioned the defeat to Pakistan and Sri Lanka there were concerns when they lost to the subcontinent nations what did those defeats show us about England as weaknesses if there were any uh, and to be fair they have been very quick to fix them like you've said how they've bounced back yeah I think realistically I think those the defeats that they had didn't so much say anything about the type of opposition or the style of of opposition that they were playing, um, I think it was just more to do with the kind of cagey nature with which England played. You know, England have played a style of cricket that's always been um, a, a quite a positive style, a, a real attacking intent. You know, the game against Pakistan, um, they were chasing, I think, three, four, nine, a big total, uh, and they just went about accumulating, building a partnership. And Joe Root and Josh Butler both scored hundreds. I think if they'd have stayed in, they would have got there. The, the curious one was the Sri Lanka game, and that was just a, a departure from their style. You know, they were only chasing a, a small total, about 235, something like 233, something like that. And um, and rather than go out and attack the bowling and really try and get the, the chase done and dusted, uh, you know, quickly, they just thought that they would take their time, take the game, you know, deep as possible. But the problem is, you know, if you lose wickets, then you can come unstuck as they did. So for me, it was the, the losses that England have had are more about the style of cricket that they've been playing rather than necessarily the opposition. And um, I just feel like they've now gone back to their to their best format or to, or to their best for, uh, form and, uh, and and it's paid off with, with wins against India and New Zealand so I think they'll be very confident going into the semi-final 
The other pre-tournament favourites were India and there was a lot of unhappiness firstly at how late they joined the tournament with that 15-day window between the IPL final and their first game. Some teams had already played three times at that stage. Where do you stand in this debate? Well, personally, uh, I think that all teams really should be starting a tournament like this, you know, at the same time. I think the World Cup, you know, is the is the premier uh, one-day tournament in the game. I think that should come first above all other domestic tournaments, bilateral tournaments, you know, whatever. And, and really, I think it was up for the IPL to fit around the World Cup rather than the other way around. And it's a bit of a concern, really, that the ICC... Um, ceded to that request um, you know there are a lot of other players from other teams playing in the IPL um, you know every team's got 15 players and you know certainly England had a good chunk of their squad guys like Ben Stokes Josh Butler Joffre Archer Johnny Bairstow Moeen Ali they were all playing at the IPL uh, and yet you know they came back to England they then actually played a series against Pakistan before the World Cup so mm. You know, if anyone needed a break, um, you know, it was them. So I would, ju- I, I would have said everybody starts the tournament at, at the same time. No great advantage, you know, coming in and having played um, less cricket than, than other teams. As you say, I think South Africa was a team that played three games before India had even got started. So uh, for me, personally, that, that, that wasn't a great, uh, a great move. They've won six out of eight, only one defeat and one no result. What, what's impressed you the most with this India team? Well, I think it's their, their bowling for me, really, that's, um, that, that, that has kind of caught my eye because, you know, we know all about their batting. We yeah. know that Virat Kohli is the best batsman, one-day batsman in the world. We know that Rohit Sharma scores hundreds for fun and we know that Shikadawan before he uh, went home injured, you know, saves his best for... ICC uh, tournaments. What has really impressed me, though, has been the form and the skill of someone like Jasper Bumrah, who mm. has obviously made a you know uh, played a bit of international cricket and made a real name for himself in the IPL. But you know the skill that he's got for a guy with such a, a curious-looking action, an awkward-looking action, he generates a huge amount of pace. But he's got so much control, the ability to call up a Yorker on demand. You know, if you're the death overs and you need to go at 10, 12, 14 and over you've got absolutely no chance against Bumrah uh, you know, Malinga, uh, Lassie's Malinga has been doing it for years for Sri Lanka, he's on the way out now and I think Jasper Bumrah is the uh, is the new guy taking over in that regard and I just think that he puts India up onto another level altogether, they've also got great backup uh, scene bowling from Mohamed Shami and Bhuvanesh Akuma, um, you know, and I think that it's been the seam bowlers really that have been the stars of the show. I know a lot of teams have thought that spin, leg spin, wrist spin would be, you know, kind of crucial. Um, and while Chahal has taken, Chahal has taken a few wickets, um, both he and Kuldeep Yadav have not had as big an impact for me on this tournament as the seam bowlers. And, and that's where I think India really uh, uh, really impressed. And, and if they go all the way, I think Bumrah will be the one who gets them there. And we've seen now kids taking to the backyard to try and bowl like Bumrah, trying, copying that action, and that is the legacy of the World Cup. And I, I, it seems like even their folding, Dean Wilson, has, has improved a bit. It's up to scratch now. We know how poor or how substandard the subcontinent team's folding was. Would you, do you think the IPL has had an effect on this and has helped their growth or improvement, even on the field? 
Uh, I, I think that there, there, there is an argument for that. Yeah, that you know, T Twenty cricket demands um, athleticism. You know, every ball counts. You've got to throw yourself around, and 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 if you're getting paid huge sums of money as they are at the IPL, then you've got to learn to dive, and and you've got to learn to uh, to be athletic. And I think that the standard that Virat Kohli sets is something that everybody. Uh, else, in the Indian uh, in the Indian game, is trying to to follow. I think he sets the standard both in terms of fitness and fielding ability, and and, and others try and emulate that. Um, but you know, I would also say there's you know still room in this in this great game for those. You know, you might try your best to become a multi-dimensional cricketer, and mm-hmm. if you can take your catches and you can stop your runs, then you know more power to you but if you've got some outrageous skill as I said I mentioned Lassith Malinga um, earlier you know he's late 30s now um, been doing it a long time and if you look at you know his shirt it's probably not a a classic athlete's body but I tell you now I would rather have Lassith Malinga in my team um, to bowl me 10 overs than you know somebody who spends you know 12 hours a day in the gym so there's a compromise to be had across the board you need your you need your super fit athletes who can dive and, and, and do all the boundary riding, taking great catches, but there's still room for, for those guys who might just have something a bit unique, a bit special, um, you know, that, that gives us all of us, you know, normal humans a, a bit of hope, I think. <laughs> Dean, I just need to take a quick break and we'll wrap up after this break. If you've just joined us, we are talking to Dean Walson from the Daily Mirror Cricket Correspondent and just getting his overall thoughts on the ICC Cricket World Cup. At Tabiso Musia, weekdays at 7 p.m. Talking all things ICC Cricket World Cup with Dean Wilson from the Daily Mirror, Chief Cricket Correspondent. And after him, we'll speak to a blind cricket commentator, Dean Duplessis, who will join us from Zimbabwe. Uh, Dean, uh, let's, let's, let's look at Australia. I mean, they seem to have, they went under the radar in this tournament, especially considering what happened with the ball tampering scandal here in South Africa. But they seem to have put that behind them. Do they actually thrive on this kind of negativity? And did you expect them to show up like they did in this tournament? Well, yeah, I must admit, I always thought Australia would be dangerous. They always are. That's the thing about Australia. It doesn't matter what their form is in between World Cups. They have a knack and a know-how of being able to perform in the big tournaments. That's why they've managed to win, I think, four out of the last five World Cups. Um, they've won five in total. Um, and they're just an outstanding sporting nation, as, as I'm sure your listeners are well aware. And the fact that they have had a bit of a scandal you know, over the last... Uh, 18 months or so, um, you know, just kind of adds to the story. But, you know, anytime you, you add someone like David Warner and Steve Smith to a team uh, and you make sure that you've got someone like Mitchell Stark who's fit and firing, uh, then you're going to be there or thereabouts. And that's exactly what's happened in this tournament. Uh, and I've been, yeah, I've been hugely impressed by them and, and their ability just to, to make sure that they can get the job done. And what about New Zealand? They always seem to be there and about when it comes to Cricket World Cup, but they've never really won uh, the thing. Do they have it in them to go all the way this time? I'd be hugely surprised if New Zealand went any further than the semi-finals. There's no disrespect to them. They're a very fine side. They've got some terrific players, but I just feel like they've kind of hit a bit of a wall. They've lost three games in a row. They got all those their wins necessary to qualify for the semi-finals early on. They got a really good result with a with a rained-off game against uh, against India, um, and so yeah, I just think that they've actually, in a sense, run out of steam a little bit. And uh, I think they're far too um, reliant on Kane Williamson for their runs. 
Um, I know that they've got a couple of other decent players, someone like Martin Guptill, who's a, a terrifically attacking, positive batsman, but just hasn't been in form in this tournament at all. Uh, Ross Taylor, who is probably one of the most informed batsmen in the world game in one day cricket over the last uh, year or so uh, and, he, and he seems to have scored um, too many of his runs before the tournament rather than in the tournament and uh, it's been a great shame that he hasn't quite managed to find his fluency and so I think that New Zealand while they will always be competitive and, and you know and as you say they always seem to get themselves into the semi-finals mm. uh, if they were to go any further than that and certainly if they were to win it I'd be uh, hugely surprised well maybe it's time to cash in because I took them at 12 to 1 for this tournament before it started we are all shocked at how poor the Proteas have been to be fair though the expectations were not that high here in South Africa considering what's happened at previous World Cup but what can you put this down to or are you as perplexed as the rest of us here not so much perplexed. Um, I, I guess that the thing with, with South Africa is that, um, you know, again, that they've been quite reliant on, on one or two players. I think, um, you know, certainly Quinton de Kock at the top of the order really is the guy that sets innings up for you. Uh, you know, the guy that is capable of scoring those really big hundreds and, and he's just not been in form at this tournament. And then when you don't get a start, then it doesn't, then it puts the pressure on guys like Hashim Amla coming in, Faf Plessis in the middle order, um, JP Dumini, you know, uh, I just feel as though, you know, right from the top in terms of the run scoring, it hasn't fired. Um, and if you can't score, you know, get yourselves up around the 300 mark in, in this tournament, then you're going to, you're going to struggle. I always felt that the bowling was South Africa's strongest suit. Um, if, if it had clicked and, and gone right, but of course, you know, losing Del Steyn, um is a blow. Uh, having an injury to Ngidi, um, you know, again, robbed you of one of your, your better bowlers. Mm-hmm. And then, again, that puts a huge amount of pressure on uh, someone like uh, Kihiso Rabada, who's a, a tremendous uh, player, you know, a fantastic bowler in high demand all around the world. But uh, I just think there was a bit too much on his shoulders um, at this tournament. Plus, he, you know, he's been playing a lot of cricket as well. You know, he came back early from the IPL with a, a bit of a niggle. Uh, I don't know precisely how fit he actually is or, you know, how his body is coping with the stresses and strains of all that cricket. But, you know, it, it's a shame for South Africa because they have been one of the, the better one-day teams before this tournament. They seem to be coping quite well with the retirement of A.B. de Villiers. But... Yeah, if you come into a tournament with your best players out of form, then uh, then you're going to go home early, which is uh, which is what hap- has happened here. Yeah. Now, as we wrap up, from a player's point of view, there have been some brilliant performances. The likes of Warner Fincher, you mentioned Rohit Sharma, even Joe Root and Johnny Basto, Mohamed Amir, Shakib Al Hassan's been brilliant. Is there anybody that stands out for you? Uh, oh, you've pretty much gone through <laughs> through the top top lot there. I, I, I think. Um, uh, the guys that I like are the ones that may be, may be slightly unexpected. So, you know, a lot of the names that you've listed there are all kind of household names. They're guys who've been doing it for a long time and were kind of stars of the last World Cup. And, you know, actually, what the thing about World Cups is, is that's where players, you know, can emerge and, and, and new and guys can make a name for themselves. Um, there hasn't been too much of that in this tournament. Probably the one 
that, that you can really call on is Joffre Archer. Now, mm-hmm. I say Joffre Archer, even though he's obviously played a fair bit of uh, franchise cricket around the world and people have seen him operating at the IPL and the Big Bash uh, and might be aware of his name, but... Uh, international cricket is still a different ball game. It is still a level above. It is still uh, has more pressure on it. And, and so for him to come and you know make his England debut just weeks before this uh, World Cup, and then you know pretty much be one of the standout performers, one of the top wicket takers in the tournament bowling, with great pace, great control. Um, and really become a bit of a crowd favourite. I've been really impressed by him. So, um, yeah, I, I think if he can keep doing what he's doing, he, he seems to take sort of two or three wickets every innings. If he can do the same in the semi-final and hopefully the final, then um, I'll be pretty uh, pretty happy for him. The last one from me, Dean Wilson, is about the stumps. We've seen the ball hit the stumps a few times in this World Cup. The bells don't come off. There have been concerns raised. What's been the response from the ICC? Well, the ICC say that the you know it's a bit of a curious one because the bales, it's the same bales that they've been using for several tournaments, um, and you know they're marge they're fractionally heavier than traditional bales, but certainly a lot lighter than what you, you might call heavy bales. Which I don't know if they have them in in South Africa, but certainly in England, when the weather conditions are particularly windy and the bales tend to fall off, we have these heavy bales that that, that sit on the stumps a bit more. A bit more rigidly. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure, you know, why this has happened. Um, I certainly feel as though it's not happened too many times, as in to cause a, an issue in terms of the the uh, integrity of the game, the integrity of the tournament. I think that um, you know they come off more often than not, um, and look, everyone can see that they add a bit of. Uh, a bit of um, a sparkle to the to the whole uh, to the whole thing. When you see those stumps light up and the, <laughs> yeah. and the bales light up, um, it really adds a, a touch of drama to it. Also, um, if you're one of those lucky batsmen who managed to get a second life where the ball bales don't fall off, then just uh, enjoy it. But uh, if you're one of the bowlers, then yeah, unfortunately, uh, it can be a bit cruel sometimes. Well, enjoy what's left of the Cricket World Cup. Dean Wilson, it's been a pleasure for us to talk to you here in South Africa. And thank you very much for the wonderful insight you've given us. No problem. Thank you. Thank you, Dean Wilson. Follow him on Twitter at Cricket Mirror. Uh, that's his Twitter handle, uh, Chief Cricket Correspondent for the Daily Mirror. We're going to talk to Dean Duplessis or up next. In the left corner, lazy like a snail. For consultations, he goes to fly by night. In the right corner, sharp like a knife. He goes to Men's Clinic International. At Men's Clinic International, we help men with their most personal problems. SMS help to 32110 or send a please call me to 072-315-2574. T's and C's apply. SMS cost one rand. Leading sport stories of the day on SAFM. Still talking cricket and commentator Dean Duplessis joins us all the way from Zimbabwe. Dean, good evening from us here on SAFM. Thank you for speaking to us. Oh, you're, you're very welcome, Toby. So how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Have you enjoyed the Cricket World Cup and what are your impressions? Um, a bit of yes and no. Um, you know, it, it, some of the games have been incredibly one-sided affairs, but now I guess as we start to get towards the latter end, of the World Cup, we're seeing a couple of slightly more uh, closer contested games. But I'll tell you something, for a strength-versus-strength 10-team 
um, tournament, we've seen quite a few disappointments. We've seen some fantastic individual performances of that, there is no doubt. Mm. You know, the, the brilliance of Rohit Sharma with these 400s, equaling Kumar Sangakara, who did it back in 2015 in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we've seen some fantastic performances by Bangladesh's Shakib al Hassan yeah. uh, with the bat and with the ball. And uh, we've also seen uh, a couple of good performances uh, in terms of fast bowling, especially by Jasper Bumrah from India. But um, from a team result perspective, I, I don't actually think it's lived up to the expectations that many people would have hoped it would have because, boy, we've seen some very one-sided matches, which has obviously been quite disappointing. And what do you make of this format, uh, Dean, strength versus strength? Uh, look, I mean, I... It's a bit biased, I suppose, coming from a Zimbabwean. But look, I mean, I understand what was trying to be done because we, in the past, especially from, um, I suppose, about 1996 onwards, we've seen some incredible mismatches, you know, where one team would get close to 400 and then the other team would just struggle to stay alive for 50 overs, let alone get close. Mm. Um, and, and I guess that in terms of, of entertainment for the one-day format or the 50-over format more specifically, which has been said to be struggling uh, of late. I guess it doesn't go down too well. But, you know, um, I, I'm not necessarily sure that it's actually doing world cricket any favours. So the ICC are, are proclaiming to spread the game all over the place, but then they shoot themselves in the foot by limiting it to 10 teams. I, I feel 12 teams um, would have been sufficient, you know. Um, no more than 12, and, and I think we would have had a, a, a very good World Cup. Um, and I'm not saying that, it, that it's all bad. Um, and I'm very sure that even if Zimbabwe had qualified for the World Cup, I, I still would have maintained that. Uh, because we have actually seen, even sometimes if it is, if it is uh, the games the, between the so-called lesser nations, sometimes that can be a great deal more exciting than, for example, a South Africa versus Australia, using that as an example game. Because sometimes, you know, the big games can be relatively one-sided affairs, mm. whereas the, the, the minnows, if you like, actually provide a great deal more entertainment. And on that note, what is the state of cricket in Zimbabwe at the moment? Oh, it's appalling, uh, to be honest with you. Absolutely shocking. Um, and I just look at, as we now, um, I, I think Zimbabwe have once again just lost to Ireland, and perhaps you can confirm that. But um, it does certainly seem as if that is the case. But um, it's, it's not in a good way at all, to be honest with you. There's a lot of uh, unpleasant things happening off the field. And I, I think it's been well documented that a lot of unpleasantness has been happening off the field for a great number of years. And then sometimes it just looks as if perhaps maybe, you know, they've leveled out and maybe we see a bit more consistency from some of the players. And But then unfortunately, a lot of, of the things that have gone wrong for Zimbabwe, sadly, is due to the lack of understanding of cricket by the Zimbabwe Cricket Board, um, which has led to Obviously, Zimbabwe cricket has been plunged into incredible amounts of debt, which has been very sad. And, and, and then, you know, just many other things happening behind the scenes as well. Now, you can't blame everything on the cricket board in Zimbabwe because they don't teach a batsman to play a forward defensive. And, mm. and they don't show a bowler how to run in and bowl Yorkers and to stay fit. But unfortunately, um, a lot of what has happened in terms of disappointment and negativity stems down to the way that cricket has been run in Zimbabwe. Okay, we've got a voice note that's come through on 061-4104-107. Uh, let's uh, play that one. A very good evening to your learned guest. Sir, why 
top Zimbabwean players like Gary Teichman, Andy Flower, the Flower brothers left Zimbabwe and moved on to new countries. Is it because of the money or the politics and your personal opinion on the game against England and India? Don't you think India gifted that game to Zimbabwe? Because India and Pakistan do not see eye to eye. My personal feeling is that they gifted that game to England. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Um, thanks for that voice note. Did you get that, Dean? Um, yeah, I got the gist of it. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, not many people know that Gary Teichman was actually born in Zimbabwe. So, well done. I was actually Googling it now as he was saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. I wonder if he's a former Zimbabwean because it can only be Zimbabweans who know that. But uh, anyway, yeah, in, in terms of England-India, that was a letdown, wasn't it? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, oh, I mean, England played very good cricket and it would be very, very disappointing to take what they did away from them. I just felt that in the beginning part, and I'm not sure if this has been repeated because I wasn't able to listen to the whole conversation that you heard had earlier on, but in my opinion, mm. India were very lethargic in the first 10 overs, um, and then the middle part was okay between Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli, but even they were a little pedestrian, picked it up quite nicely, especially with Rohit Sharma hitting Adil Rashid pretty much at will over extra cover, which was a pure joy to, to witness. But then as soon as he got out and, and Kohli got out, it just seemed that Donald, I beg your pardon, Mahindra Singh Dhoni, mm. um, he, he's not been able to finish off games now for, for quite some time now. Um, and I think the expectations that we all have on MS you know, are beginning to tell. Many people feel that um, India were kind of a bit like New Zealand saying, well, you know what, it doesn't really matter too much if we lose this game because we're into the semi-final. If that is the case, well, then that's a real shame. You know, but, but MS Dhoni really struggles now to get the ball away. And uh, it may not be a bad idea to possibly get him a little more up the order so that he can have that time at the crease and then perhaps start to express himself towards the end of the innings. But he, he's coming in, or well, he certainly against England, came in at a very tricky situation 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, um, even five years ago. He would have been able to have dealt with it, but clearly not able to do that anymore. He struggles to pick the slower delivery. Uh, that was bowled by Chris Wokes. He struggles to pick the Yorker, bowled by Jofra Archer, and, and doesn't necessarily get it away as um, proficiently as he, as he would have done a couple, of, a couple of years ago. And there was a question about why do the players leave Zimbabwe? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know what? Um, a different, look, it's a bit of everything. I mean, you, you think of Graham Hick. Now, I don't yeah. know if you think yeah, Graham yeah, Hick yeah. may have been a bit... That one I know, yeah. <laughs> but he, but he, play, he played for England, but very much Zimbabwean born and bred. I mean, he was still like 18. He went to the 1983 World Cup when, when playing for Zimbabwe. Didn't get a game because he was just there to rub shoulders. He was still a teenager. Um, and, and what he said was, look, Worcestershire approached me to play county cricket for them. Had I known that Zimbabwe cricket would have got their test status in even two years' time, I would have stayed because obviously I wanted to play for the country of my birth. But I didn't have any idea, and nobody could give me an answer as to when Zimbabwe cricket would gain their test status. I think everybody pretty much always knew that back in in the 80s, Zimbabwe would eventually get their test status, but nobody quite knew when. As it turned out, Hick uh, made his debut for England in 1991, and Zimbabwe got their test status a year later. So it's a bit of a scenario where, you know, um, if Hick had stayed, he would have certainly played a lot more test cricket for Zimbabwe than he would have played for England under less pressure. But having said that, he wouldn't have achieved anything 
uh, by sticking around in Zimbabwe, where he's achieved a great deal playing for Worcestershire. So, yes, I suppose a bit of money would be involved, and I suppose a bit of politics would be involved. But if you, if you are a true lover of what you do, for example, I'm a true lover of doing what I do right now. And if I were to be approached by a radio station beyond my borders, as much as I love Zimbabwe, despite everything that is going on here, I would jump at the opportunity to work in surroundings where the equipment works and where I get a decent salary and where I get recognized for what I do. Mm. And I mentioned at the top of the show, Dean, that not many people might be aware that you're visually impaired and you're a cricket commentator. How do people react when they hear you first and then realize that you're actually blind? <laughs> um, a lot of people... I remember once there was a, there was a terrible fallout between a, a director and a news reporter here in Zimbabwe because the news reporter... Uh, who's uh, very, very much known for obviously targeting certain people and not a very nice person, was of the opinion that I wear dark glasses to trick people. Wow. Now, back in the day, I used to wear dark glasses because I was single and, you know, like most young men, was <laughs> hoping to attract the eye of a, of a young lady by wearing these dark glasses. But he, he was of the opinion that I was told how to commentate or what was going to be happening. Mm. But I mean, if you think about it very realistically, imagine somebody talking to you the whole time and you're... Imagine if your director and producer was talking to you nonstop while you were trying to conduct an interview with somebody. Mm. It, would, it would never, ever work. No. You know, so um, you'd, you'd get confused with what the director was saying and what you were yep. trying, to, trying to do. So although the director talks, I can distinguish what happens due to the stomp microphones. You know, so when you hear Del Stein bowling, he has a certain way that he lands with his feet at the crease. Um, Kachiso Rabada as well. Um, Imran Tahir's uh, celebrations is not just visual, it's audio as well. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he lets out a great catch up <laughs> when the ball goes up in the air, so you know very well that he's bowling. And of course, you know, when, when certain shots are played, I determine it from by the way that the bat hits the ball. So it's, if, it's, if it's a slower delivery, the ball will take a bit more time to hit the bat or the pad or the stumps. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, you, you find ways to make it work. If you really are passionate about something, you find ways to make it work. And you can hear, obviously, the nick of the, of the edge of the bat. And sometimes the stump mics are really good. You can even hear the wicketkeeper take the catch in his gloves. Wow. And, and, and you can hear a pull shot. You can hear a cover drive. Yes, yes, yes. So, so the cover drive is definitely a sharp, uh, you know, crack to it. And then a pull shot is a bit more hollow sounding. Um, because of the, obviously, you know, when you play a cover drive, your bat is, is supposedly a little more straighter yeah. as to when you play a cut shot or a pull shot, because those are the, the horizontal uh, shots, as we refer to them, the pull shot and the cut shot, because you're playing square of the wicket on the offside to play the cut shot and square of the wicket on the onside when you play the pull or the hook shot. And, and so, obviously, with the angle of the bat, you know, there's a, there's a different sound. And then, obviously, reverse sweeps, Lots of times when certain batsmen play the reverse sweep, the bat hits the ground. But now these days, mm. batsmen are actually capable of hitting, hitting a reverse sweep or playing a reverse sweep and hitting the ball for six. Um, so now that's becoming, that's testing my, my skills a bit more, <laughs> which, is, which is always a good thing. That is incredible. And, and, and finally, I mean, uh, I'm sure you would have loved to be at the Cricket World Cup as a commentator. Are there opportunities for, for, visual, for visually impaired commentators or for, people, for, for, for somebody like you in mainstream cricket? And, and with the broadcasters also? Uh, not really, to be honest with you. I think, you know, it's, it's a very similar situation, and this has been happening for the last 18 years, where, you know, a radio station or a television station will have a very in-depth piece on you as to how I do what I do. Mm. But that's pretty much as far as it goes. As you rightly say, I'd like to be at the World Cup 
I even wouldn't mind being a part of the radio commentary team, which is um, currently doing the World Cup. You know, your mm. your local uh, Aslam Kota and everybody else. Mm. I mean, they're doing the work from the studio, but I wouldn't even mind being there because at least I'd be in South Africa and I'd be able to branch out and, and show people what I'm capable of doing. You know, it's not the World Cup, but but I mean, I never really uh, thought that I'd be able to get to the World Cup because people don't have a great deal of, I think. You know, they love the story, but nobody's actually brave enough to say, right, let's try and make this work. So we're not going to treat you any differently because you're blind. If we like what you do, we'll employ you. If we don't like what you do, then we'll tell you and you will, that will be the end of it. But, you know, in my opinion, I haven't necessarily always been given a fair chance to, to really prove myself and, and show everybody that I'm just as capable. Well, that's really unfortunate and let's hope somebody is listening. You never know who's listening to Plessy because people respect your work and, and those who followed you know that you know exactly what you are talking about despite the challenges that you have. And thank you very much for finding time to speak to us here on SAFM. Hopefully we'll speak to you again and it's been a pleasure to talk to you again, to Plessy. SAFM has always been a great friend of mine, so it's great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And please, you can follow him on social media. He's there on Twitter. He is at Dean Duplessis, Dean underscore Plessis. Uh, that's his uh, Twitter handle. And he actually says that he is the world's first and only blind cricket commentator, analyst, reporter, and columnist. So go follow him if you don't believe this incredible story of Dean Duplessis. Up next, we have to go to Egypt. We have to build up to Bafana, Bafana, Egypt. Sonja Bulongidi from the New Frame will speak to us next. So, Musiya on SAFM. Yeah, that's me if you didn't know and uh, let's uh, talk Bafana Bafana versus Egypt now and Njabulo Ngidi from the New Frame joins us on the line and uh, Njabulo good evening and thank you for joining us uh, last 16 is now a reality uh, how was this qualification received by the team uh, good evening Tavisan to SSM listeners I think so the mood from the players improved dramatically I mean the, the body language after the last game was quite disappointing obviously I mean a lot of them were down. They, I mean, a handful actually even stopped for interviews with us in the mix zone because of how disappointed they were, thinking that they were out of the tournament. But there's been a huge improvement. I think the mood has been lifted now that they know that they're in the last 16 and then coming up against Egypt. Many have dubbed it as a backdoor qualification, but surely that's not correct. No, no, that's not correct. I think it's just people being dramatic for, for no reason. The, this was in the rules when the tournament started that the three that the four best dead place finishers go through through to the knockout stage. I mean a backdoor qualification is when you're actually eliminated and then come back by some other way. But this is not. I mean this is in the rules. And do you know where and how the team watched that game, especially the Angola one, because that's where most eyes were. They watched the 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 whole team sat together at the pool in the hotel. And they watch it on the big screen uh, at, at night because they, the local channel was showing the Angola game. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, the local t- the TV wasn't showing the Mali-Angola game. It was being who was showing that. So they had to find ways to make sure that they sit, watch it in a projector. And they did. I mean, the whole team sat together and, and watch it. And they were very anxious, obviously, because, I mean, this was a game that was going to define... Their, their progress in the competition and the fact that Mali had made changes obviously would have made anyone a bit a bit scared that this is a team that you need a favor from and they've changed their team dramatically like they have. 
Well, there's no team that South Africans love to hate than Bafana Bafana, and they've been criticised from all quarters here in South Africa for the poor way that they've played in this tournament so far. Is that criticism justified? I think it is. The the team hasn't really, I think they hasn't really kicked. I mean, the, the way they've played in the in these three games has been disappointing, to say the least. Uh, I think the, there was a lot of, of being conservative in how they play. I think we haven't seen the real Bafana Bafana because our people, the one thing that they expect is, is, is not just to, to get a result, but also entertainment and see a team that's fighting. I think what we saw was a team that lacked imagination. And I mean, you saw Pesetao, how deep he was defending. And that says a lot about the team that he is, because the Pesetao is the one who carried us to, to this AFCON, and, and he was playing quite forward and he was troubling defenders. I mean, you look at what he did to Nigeria, and, 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 and that's that's the performance that people wanted to expect to, to see in this tournament, and that's what we, we didn't see. I think that's been the disappointment, more than just the results, is the fact that it seems like there wasn't even an effort in terms of, of fighting to, to go to the next round. So are there any positives that they can take out of those three games? <laughs> the positive is that we're still in the tournament. <laughs> uh, that's about it. The, I think the the one good thing was that Structurally, we will look good. I mean, the, there's an improvement in terms of that in the organization. I mean, our defense look good. The goalkeepers, both of them look good. And we're in a situation now where we've got, we're comfortable regardless of who's in goal because that wasn't the case before. I think Ronan did quite well, especially in the games against Ivory Coast. And Darren Kidd showed what he's capable of in, in Libya <clears throat> because he wasn't tested that much when he was in goal. So I think that that that's something to build on. That we've got a a solid defense, and 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 I think hopefully that will allow the coach to to go to go for broke. I mean, against an Egyptian team because we've got nothing to lose. I mean, everything is stacked against us. We're playing the host, the most successful team in the tournament. They're going to be playing in front of seventy thousand fans. Like everything is set for an an Egyptian win, and I think that bodes well for Bafana in the sense that they've got nothing to lose. Well, I saw some of the stories that you filed from that side in Egypt uh, and uh, from some of the other guys like Velile. Coach Stuart Bakhtar doesn't seem to understand the frustrations of the South Africans. What? How would you describe his reaction to the criticism? He Today he was different. He, I mean, in the past couple of years, he was very tense. There was a lot of friction between him and the media and even the way he was answering some, some questions, you could see that, that his answers were very loaded. But today it was te- it was very relaxed and friendly. I mean, it was a difference to it to the one that we've we've sort of dealt with throughout the, this competition. And I think for me that that that's a, a good sign in the sense that because of of of, of the stage that we're on, in that I mean we, we have to go for broke. It's there isn't any sense in, in defending and just to be conservative because it's one game and you're out. And 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 the good thing is that I mean for for all. What he's struggling in this tournament is that Baxter knows how to win knockout competitions. I mean, we've seen what he's done when he's coached at Supersport and Chiefs in terms of how they are in the knockout stage of cup games. I mean, they, they become different. I mean, you look at, at Supersport, for instance, the success that he had in cups, it, it just shows the, the type of coach that he is when it's this do-or-die situation. So do you expect him then to shy away from his tactics of seemingly safety first and not conceding first? Do you expect him to approach the game against Egypt differently? Like you said, there's nothing to lose. He, he said it, that he, that's what he wants. He wants to, 
Okay, no, no um, sorry, Njabula, we're going to try and get you back on a, a better line. That line is uh, not working for us uh, as we were about to actually get his thoughts on what will happen on Saturday and how the locals are reacting to uh, this uh, match, this last 16 match. By the way, let me tell you that there was a Cricket World Cup game today. It was the West Indies up against Afghanistan. The West Indies posting 311 for six and Afghanistan, they bowled them out for 288. So the wind is won by 23 runs, but it was a dead rubber. It doesn't matter. And on that note, uh, while we were to get Jabula back on the line. Folks, how good has the Women's World Cup been? I've really, really enjoyed uh, the Women's World Cup. I mean, the games have been superb. Uh, the fans have been fantastic. And I think women's football has really, really come a long way. And thank you to Banyana Banyana, even though they left the tournament early. But I think they got all of us interested in this uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. And it's really, really been fantastic. I've seen some people saying that they've enjoyed it more than AFCON. I've enjoyed both tournaments from my, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I have to say that I've really, really been impressed by the standard of women's football. And long may it continue continued can only get better and better uh, from here sorry Jabula, we lost you when 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 you were saying that the coach uh, hinted that he could play positive football yeah he said that he knows that the the, the odds are stacked against them and the fact that there's going to be 75,000 people who are going to be backing uh, Egypt and then he plans to use that against them in the fact that he wants to get an early lead and go and, and rattle them because even though Egypt has some of the most passionate fans, they also can turn against their own team when things don't go their well. And and that's what he's aiming at, to, to basically go, go at them. And, and I think we're going to see a different team to the one that we saw in the group stage. We're going to see the real Bafana Bafana come out in this, in this game. Well, let's hope so. What are the locals saying about um, the game? Uh, how do they see it, the Egyptians? I think it's surprisingly, there's there's... There's an element of anxiousness. I mean, even have uh, the Morocco coach have uh, warned uh, Egypt to not underestimate South Africa because of the threat that's in the team. And, and even Egyptians, they're not as confident as you think that they would be when you look at the difference in class between the two teams and the success because they know that South African teams have come to Egypt and really rattled them. And, and, and we've got the, the antidote, so to speak, of playing against North African teams. And I think if, if that could come out, we, we could surprise people. Mm. And Lewohang Mutiba has received a lot of criticism uh, here in South Africa. He's failed to find the back of the net. Is that criticism fair on, on, on the guy? I don't think it's fair because firstly, you have to look at, at how many balls were played to him. I mean, part of the reason why we didn't have shots on targets against Ivory Coast and Morocco is the fact that there wasn't much creativity. And I mean... You look at the, at the gap between him and Pesitao. Pesitao is very far. And when you look at the game against Nigeria, you saw that the two have got a, a good combination with their movements. I don't think it, it's fair because the, the team hasn't played to his strength. And, and his strength is not just holding the ball, but it's got sharp movements. It's got a, a wicked turn in the box. It's a good header of the ball. And, and we haven't seen that. I mean, I don't think we've even had two good crosses to, to Lebo Motiba. And, and he's someone that has got quality. I think I would say that the people who are criticizing him are only are people who have probably seen him for the first time in this nation's cup. Mm. And, and finally, the question that a lot of people want to know is, are they going to finally see Tembinkosi Lodge on the pitch on Saturday? <laughs> and what's been I, the I, explanation? For me, I find this Tembinkosi thing a bit puzzling because people are acting like 
notice is he done or something like not to, not disrespect to the guy. He's player of the season, right? <laughs> yeah, he is. But but how much is he well versed in international football? Pirates played like two hand, a handful of games in the Champions League, and you look at the people who are playing ahead of him: Mzwane, Villagazi, Serrero. Like it's, it's it's people who've got experience at this level, and I don't think that that Lodge has that. I mean, he's someone that you can throw in towards the end to to rattle people and then shake off defenders. But it's not someone who can change the game for us and, and win it. I, I don't think he's, he's at that level that just yet. Okay, I think that's where we're going to leave it then, Njabu Langidi. Uh, do you want to call it for us? Uh, sorry? Do you want to call it? Do you believe it can happen against all odds? We, we, we're winning this one. <laughs> we're winning this one. Lo- we're winning this one. I love the confidence and I hope you're right, my friend. But thank you very much. People are enjoying hearing from you. They say you're the best sports writer in the country. And uh, yeah, uh, he writes some fantastic stuff. Njabulongiri for the new frame. Do check him out. And uh, they're happy to hear you on the radio. Enjoy the rest of Afcon and Jabulon. I'm glad you stayed and you didn't come back like the other guys. Who <laughs> probably. Thank you. Thank you. Let me say it. Let me leave it there. Our time is up anyway. It is a time for news. My name is Tabiso Omosia. Song is on my will be up next. And thank you to Sylvester Command and Katlako Mudiba at the back there.